we're in a fight for the family series, not fight in the family, right? Some of you might have experienced that already. Fight in, how many of you like enduring right now some fight in the family? Come on, it's, it's all right, you're in church, it's good. But what we want to do is we want to fight for family, and that's the name of the series. So if you're taking notes, I want, to, want you to write down how do we fight. How do we fight? See, God is involved in the building and the restoration of natural family, and Jesus is also building a spiritual family. You know, upon this rock, you know, I will build. He's talking about building His church. And because of that, there's this amazing battle, and there's amazing strategy of the enemy, and there's amazing collateral damage. There's never been more of a time to contend and fight for family. And for one, the family in the, in the natural is parallels. It's supposed to parallel. It's supposed to be a model. What God is doing in your family, God's desired and designed to what is happening there in a place of wholeness is so, the, uh, so basically the world can see through the church. So like the parallels are pretty crazy. Uh, For example, both the home and the church, very similar in function. They provide shelter. They provide protection. They, uh, They have a plurality of leadership, unless you're a single mom. And I was raised up really in a single mom family. They provide training and instruction. They... They provide a place of commitment and accountability. Both provide a place of covenant and commitment. Both provide a place for you to be stretched, for you to be challenged, for you to grow. Both provide a place for you to be offended. Both provide a place for you to be bitter. Both provide a place for you to overcome. Both provide a place for you to be healed. Both provide a place for you to be rejected. And that's not right. But it it is because it's made up of people, right? I mean, how many of you have been rejected by family, hurt by family, right? Come on, both hands up. I remember when Robbie and I started basically dating, and man, she's just like, oh, I just fell in love with her within five minutes. I remember when I introduced her to my mom and my sister, and after she left, they were so smitten with her that they looked at me and said, what does she see in you? You know, I mean, that's, seriously, that's family, right? I had to overcome that. I had to get healed from that. I mean, even her mom did that. I mean, on the other way. I, I mean, I, 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 was, I had all the odds against me. Her mom basically tells her, says, Honey, you must really love him because he sure is homely. Seriously. And you know what I want to do? How do you like me now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So both are in, interconnected. And the devil comes against any strategy of God with a counter strategy of his own. Both family in the natural and family in the spiritual are vulnerable to the same strategies that weaken or destroy them. They're both the same. I've seen the spirit of division work through a church. I've seen the spirit of division work through many families. And we have to make a determination to fight for, to to contend for what God has built and deems important. So Nehemiah is building... And God is a builder. And the story in Nehemiah chapter 4, just read a couple of scriptures. I brought one of them up last week. But it said in verse 13, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. 
And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Now listen, listen, listen. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We see this, and it's the same challenge that we have today. See, when a man contends against anger, he's not just fighting for himself. He's fighting for his family to be freed of that. Uh, He's fighting for his wife and his sons and his daughters. When a person battles against pornography and are successful, they not only walk in the freedom, but also their family walks in the freedom. And notice that I just didn't refer to men. Because it's not just a man thing. It's not. So, So as we look at this, when all of these things affect both the natural family and the spiritual family, and I want to share a couple things I talked with uh, talked about at Armor Up this week because I they just flowed with the, the 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 sermon. I was already starting to kind of work on this, and, and I think it's just appropriate. In Exodus fifteen three, it says, "The Lord is a man of war; the Lord is His name." It's like, wow, I'm I'm created. You and I are created in the image of God. How many of you recognize that? And it says, "The image of God, the Lord is a man of war; the Lord is His name." And there's a war in me when it's needed. There's a war in us when it's needed. Amen? Okay, how about in Psalm 144.1, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Paul writes to Timothy to fight the good fight. So there's some fight in this, right? We just have to fight for the right thing. Sometimes we're fighting for the wrong thing. There's fight in this, but we don't direct it in the right way. Um, we know that Jesus overturned tables when confronting the Pharisees' wrong agenda for the church. And how about, how about, how about this picture of Jesus? How many of you have seen, I saw it the other day, picture of gentle Jesus, you know, and he's got long kind of blonde hair and blue eyes, right? Holding a lamb, picture on the wall. How about this picture of Jesus in Revelation 19, 11 through 16? Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Wow, Jesus makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now think about this. See, those pictures and that theme can really resonate in us, right? My favorite movies are like Gladiator, Braveheart, The Patriot. I mean, I love those stuff, you know, so I, I, I picked up some of my like favorite quotes from those movies. So I love this quote from Maximus. And he says, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Except you got to say it the right way because you can't say, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. You got to say, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. <laughs> right? And like, woo, man, I like that stuff. Or he says, or, or Juba says this, you have a great name and he must kill your name before he kills you. 
It's like, ooh. Those, that kind of stuff just rises some stuff up in you, right? Or maximum strength and honor, right? I mean, it's crazy. Or William Wallace, every man dies, not every man truly lives. I love that. He also says, we all end up dead. It's just a question of how and why. So, so when, we, when we read these things, now, 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 now let, me get, let, me, let me do a disclaimer. Before you think, that's all I watch. I was over at, at our son's house in Moses Lake, and uh, we, we stayed there for a couple days, and, and basically I get invited by you know, my daughter-in-law, Rachel, and the grandkids, and Robbie, um, would you sit down and watch Anna Green Gables with me, you know, with us? And I'm like, hmm, that sounds like a big chick flick, right? And I thought, okay, I'm going to be a good papa, and I'm going to sit down, and you know, there's a series of them. There's like like six of them, or eight of them, or something like that. And so it's like, yeah, we're going to eat popcorn, and I'm going to do this for the grandkids. And after, I'm going to watch one. It's cool. They say, okay, papa, you can go. And I'm like, um, no, I, I think it's good. I'll watch another one. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, it was uh, seriously. But see, this is not the only way, that, that picture of Jesus that I just kind of portrayed is not the only way that Jesus fought. It's not the only way that He contended. When He encountered the devil in the wilderness, He contended with the Word of God. Amen. When He was beaten, lashed, spit on, and reviled, He contended by saying nothing in His own defense. During the greatest battle and greatest victory, that he won. He won it by surrendering and saying, Father, let your will be done. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He fought with love. He fought with grace. He confronted people with restoration and forgiveness. I mean, that's how we, we, we have to get the whole picture. See, the greatest way to fight is to surrender to the Lord. I find when I surrender to the Lord that I actually win the greatest battle. Some of the greatest ways I've warred as a father and a husband have been in prayer. Some of the greatest ways that I've warred have been in delivering a world-class apology to my children and to my wife. Some of the ways I've won have been in deciding that there are no spoils in the battle, that I could win the argument but lose the war. We fight and contend by being men of worship. We, we, we fight for our family by resisting temptation, confronting our anger, and being set free from addictions. We, we contend for our family by admitting our own pride and realizing that we don't know everything. I fought for my family by recognizing I needed mentors in my life, people who would model what a strong marriage, what a strong family, what a strong faith looked like because I wasn't raised up with that as a model. I wasn't raised up with that as a model. I didn't know how to do that. And, and you know, for me, I don't know about you, how many of you like to put stuff together? I actually like to put stuff together. But you know, I like to put stuff together. I have the directions, but I need a picture. The picture always helps. I need it modeled. There's times I'm putting stuff together, it's like, okay, I get this. God, is there a picture on the front of the box? Oh, cool, there is. That helps me. Because your marriage, your family, 
Our church family is supposed to be assembled in a way that actually portrays and models something that God is doing on the heaven. I contended by setting spiritual priorities in my life. By making sure we ruled the calendar and the calendar didn't rule us. I contended and uh, for my family by taking my wife out on a date night every week. All the wives should be going like, hey, 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 you don't hear that. I mean, seriously, can I just say this? My kids loved it. You know, it's like, hey, y'all going out? Good. We get a pizza. We get a babysitter. We get a whatever. Sweet, man. Every Friday night. I fight for my family with kindness. Remember one of the uh, one of the marriage uh, encounters we had a number of years ago. One of our elder couples, Carrie and Lonnie, they were asked. I think they were doing a panel. They said, "What's been the secret of your?" And these guys have been married like forever. Seriously, where they kind of look like brother and sister. They've been married for so long. <laughs> Ever. And you know what they said? They said kindness. Being kind to one another. Because you know what? The person that's so close to you is the one that's so easy not to be kind with. And they don't deserve it. My wife doesn't deserve my grump. She, she, she doesn't. Your wife, your spouse doesn't deserve your, your grump. Come on. I fight for my family with gentleness. I fight for my family with vision. Without vision, people perish. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. I fight for my family by recognizing there's a cause to fight for. I fight for my family by making sure that I don't take what God is doing for granted. One of the closest pastoral friends that I had, amazing, amazing, ended up just getting a divorce after like 45 years. And I'm like, I didn't see it coming. It was like a gut punch. And I'm praying the best for them. I'm praying restoration for them. You know, you know, all things can work together for good. I, I, I'm believing for them, but I'm like, oh man, this. I think it, one of the one of the ways that I contend is I never want to take her for granted. Now you all can talk to her about taking me for granted. I mean, after the service, it'll be good. You know what I'm saying? She's not even listening to me. Woo. You got to know that there's a cause to fight for. David, when asked by his brother Eliab, why did you come down here? Because he, you know, David was, he was coming in, Goliath was challenging Israel, had been mocking them for, for 40 days. I mean, he's just like, hey, and, and he comes in and Eliab, his brother, steps out and says, hey, what are you doing here? Why aren't you back there? And David had to, Well, he responded this way, and David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? Is there not something that's worth fighting for? Sometimes what happens is we're not in a fight because we're so apathetic. You know, whatever will be, will be. And like, no, there is. this is worth fighting for. And then David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? And then he turned toward another and said the same thing. These people answered him as the first ones did. He was saying, hey, 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 hey. You know, come on, let's go. There's something here worth fighting for. It's worth contending for. In Ezekiel 22.30, it says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Wow. 
How are you fighting for your family? How are you fighting with your family? You're fighting for your family. And how about fighting for your spiritual family? Remember once again the story of Nehemiah where you put families together to build and fight, right? Nehemiah 4, 14. And I looked in a row, said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your son, your brethren. I'm fighting for you. When I'm basically contending for wholeness, it's, it's not just for me, it's for you. When you're basically contending to lean into God and to, and to get to a place where you're set free and you're moving, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're, you're actually contending for all of us because this right here is what God wants to use to model to the earth. This is what Jesus is building. And I believe that there's a prophetic admonition and reminder to the church family, the the church community that we're part of, that the same things we use to contend and fight for the family, we employ in fighting for the church family. Kindness, gentleness, patience, grace, being selfless, not thinking more highly of ourselves than what we ought, being sacrificial because we're being knit into a spiritual family. Church community is not just a liturgical exercise, but a building that is a place of life. And I want to invite you to be part of something that is living. It's living. God's doing some amazing things. Look at this passage where Jesus has revealed himself to, to Mary after the resurrection. And notice the family theme. Never really considered this before. Jesus, uh, John 20, 16 through 7, 17. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and go to my, and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Wow, that's family terms. That's brethren terms. My God, your God, our Father. Even when he said in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, our Father is our in heaven. There's a family connection and theme. Or how about Romans 8, 29? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many, what? Brethren. Brethren. Or the Lord's Prayer. See, these are all family themes, terms that you and I have been brought into the family of God through faith in Jesus. So can I say this? You belong. And because you belong, because God's called you and you can live differently. You don't have to continue to live in this broken way because God will help you through that. And he takes the broken and he makes beautiful things out of it. He, He makes masterpieces out of it. So we not only contend for our our biological, natural family, but for our spiritual family. They're meant to mirror each other and model something on the earth. How many of you have a favorite pair of shoes? How many of you got a favorite fishing rod? How many of you got a favorite tool? I mean, you know, now come on, y'all in North Idaho, your favorite tool might be a roll of duct tape. You know what I'm saying? But we we all have kind of a go-to. I mean, we have kind of a, this is where I'm going to lean to. You know, like, for example, um, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got a, a few guitars. And if I'm going to go somewhere where Robbie and I are going to minister in music and, and play and, and, and I can only take one, I've got a favorite that I always pick. 
That's my, that's my go-to, man. It's well-worn. It feels good. I mean, I, I, I can count on it, right? I mean, it's not going to let me down. It's not going to be something It's like, boom, this is the way it is. Well, you know what? The devil has got his tools. And he's got his favorite tools. And it's been the same since the garden. And he employs them. And it should be no surprise. But yet, we get surprised. Here are a couple age-old tools of the enemy that he uses to contend against your family. Both in the natural and the church family you may be part of. The first one is offense. Offense. Man, we are so easily offended. We just are. Come on, somebody pulls out in front of us. Somebody doesn't let us in line. There's just something that kind of rises up in us. Basically, in the word offense in the Greek, it's called scandalon. And it basically means the bait. It's the trigger. And, you know, and Jesus said this in Luke uh, chapter 17. He said, then he said to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Listen, we're, you're not going to walk through your family life church. You're not going to walk through the grocery store without the opportunity to get offended, right? I got this old, beautiful saint elder that when Robbie and I were we're growing up in the church, and he, his name is Wilbur, and I just I love him. And he, uh, he, I remember him coming up to me. I'm a young, I'm just a young guy, and I'm just trying to get stuff figured out. And he looks right, looks me right at the eyes. He said, "You can't offend me." In my mind, I'm going, "Give me a shot, man. Give me a try." But he said, "You can't offend me because I refuse to be offended." Like that's the spirit, man. That, that, that's, so, so it goes, Jesus said this in verse 3, take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We'd rather rebuke than forgive. And then sometimes we just, you know, because of, you know, we don't want to confront. We don't say, hey man, when you said that, you know, really, or when you did that, or led me into a place. But that word, and he says in verse 4, let me continue. If he sins against you, Seven times in a day, seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So what causes you to sin? What triggers you? It's a trigger. Scandalon. It's a bait. Is it, is it basically someone doesn't deal with you honorably? Do you become bitter? You know, more about this, more that I recognize as I'm walking through life, that it's more incumbent upon how I react than other people do. It really is. It's like, okay, this wasn't right. This wasn't honorable. But I'm not going to worry about the trigger. I'm going to worry about what it raises up inside of me. That's what I want to do. I want to stand before the Lord and say, God, I walked. I, I took the high road. I, 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 I walked through this. Yeah, it, it's not right. It hurts. I feel like I've been wrong. But I'm not going to hold on to this thing because it will grow into a root of bitterness and it will begin to defile and what happens is if you allow a root of bitterness to grow, it's not like you can, it's not self-contained. You know, it's like pretty soon that root of bitterness is, they didn't treat me right, they didn't do this right, they led me astray, blah, 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 they betrayed me, they rejected me. And then pretty soon if, if, if it grows, it begins to infiltrate every relationship that you have. You know, right now I would say this, if somebody has wronged you, if they've sinned against you, and as I'm saying this, and a name pops up in your spirit, it's probably the Lord saying, hey, you need to deal with this because you haven't dealt with this yet. Consider the life of Joseph. 
envious brothers. Now, Joseph to me was not a wise young man. Because he like had a dream. Like, hey, I see myself ruling and reigning over my brothers. How would you like the little brother in your family to go, hey, God gave me a dream. And guess what? You know, I'm up here and you guys are bound down to me. Seriously, you'd want to throw him in a pit too, right? But if you think about this, his envious brothers, he's left for dead in the pit. Potiphar's wife then, if you know the story, lies. He ends up in jail. In jail, he's betrayed by the butler. He's forgotten. And, and basically 13 years of Joseph's life, he didn't let the offense trigger him to bitterness, to revenge, to anger, or to hate. Every stumbling block became a stepping stone for Joseph. Every stumbling block for you can be a stepping stone to wholeness if you'll embrace what God wants to do through you. That's one of the, I I wish I'd have learned this a long time ago, a lot earlier in life, but when something happens, the first thing that I do is like, okay, God, what do you want to work out in me? This isn't right, but what do you want to work in me? What about this do I need to own? So Joseph's reaction was to be better, not bitter. And that response ultimately was the salvation of his family. So powerful. Or how about unmet expectations? Every unmet expectation leads to disappointment. And disappointment is the step that leads to the trap of offense. You know what I've, I've learned to do is I've really learned, I mean, think about that in the family context. I really believed that I should have come home and we should have been doing this and blah, blah, blah. And guess what? She didn't do it. I mean, relationally, we have this all the time. I expect, I've learned to just meter my expectations. Or how about compromise? Compromise. In the Old Testament, this sounds... Brutal, but God didn't want His people marrying outside of Israel because of the value systems. He knew it would take them away and they would begin to serve other gods. Well, we don't have that same burden on us today, but what are we intermarrying with? Are are we intermarrying with social uh, uh, positions? Are we intermarrying with politics? Are we intermarrying with anger? Are we compromising some things, are we justifying things? Or is this like, well, it's just a little white light. What are we compromising? Or what are we watching? Do we compromise on what we watch? I mean, if you were here last week, you heard the statistics. If you weren't, I'm going to give it to you really quick. A person that's age 65, the average American watches three hours of television a day. At 65 years old, you will have accumulated, you have, you have effectively watched eight years of television. If you are a person that goes to church, you know, every Sunday in the month and even on some Wednesday nights and you're just, boom, I'm committed. I'm, I'm now, you're like Anna. She just never left the house. At the end of 65 years, you would have been in church for eight months. Eight years versus eight months. Don't tell me that you don't have time to gather with God's people. I'm just saying this as a shepherd. Because I mean, you you know, if you look at the culture over here that they've got eight years of your attention, of your eye gate, of your ear gate, they're pouring into you all of this stuff. Listen, 
you got to combat that somehow, and you combat that with being more. I, I, I'm more. I, what I've had to do is I'm I'm a news guy. I mean, I love I love the news. I you know I'll look at two or three things. I'll look at two or three different papers, and I've realized I have to limit because like I remember Pastor Joel uh, probably a couple three months ago. He said every one of these outlets, it doesn't matter if it's CNN or it's Fox News or whatever, they have an agenda, and they're trying to actually sell you on a certain ideology. And I've realized, you know what I need? I need God's ideology. I need the Word of God's ideology, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what I'm saying? That's how I basically have to contend. Or how about this? Gossip. Gossip has become the acceptable Christian sin. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? I think we should. I'm just telling you this so we can pray. It's like, stop it. If you're not part of the problem or you're not part of the solution, stop it. I talked to a guy on the phone just recently. And it was like, he starts talking about this guy over here. And I'm like, I don't even know that. I'm going to go meet that guy over here. I don't want to know this stuff. I want to start with a clean slate. But what he did was he actually put a seed in my spirit towards this guy and understanding I had to go, no, I'm shaking that off because I want to give him a clean slate. I, you know, I'm not part of the problem and I'm not part of the solution, but I mean, I mean, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And I'm telling you what, if you hang around with somebody that gossips, probably when you're not hanging around, they're gossiping about you. Just saying. Kind of a story about three pastors that were confessing. And the first one says, yeah, I just drink too much. I just need to confess my sin. I need to, I just drink too much. The second one's like, yeah, I just, man, I, I'm addicted to pornography. I just, I just can't break, I can't break away from that. And the third one goes, man, guys, he says, my sin, I can't, I can't keep a secret. (laughs) Or how about fear? Major tool of the devil, man. I mean, you can feel it everywhere you go. There's a spirit of fear, anxiety. It's just like, oh, you could cut this thing with a knife. Or discouragement. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is as a tree of life. Listen, I shared this with our staff last week. And I, you know, because I'm thinking about the family and I'm thinking about the church family and and what God's doing in our, in our midst and what I'm seeing God doing really in so many other churches. In the early church, there was this great debate on the qualifications that one needed to have to be part of the church, part of the community, to be saved. And some of the old guard were talking about making sure that people were circumcised, that they were adhering to the law of Moses, that without that, they couldn't be saved. You know, back in the day, we used to talk about the clothesline. How many of you are old enough to realize the clothesline? I mean, you, you got to dress in a certain way. And oh my goodness, I can't believe. I mean, it took me a while to break away from that. Seriously, I don't think, I don't think now we've been up here for mm, almost 15 years, 14 years. I don't think I ever preached in a pair of jeans until I came up from here. And then North Idaho set me free. You know what I'm saying? The clothesline. Making sure that you that you look right, that you're a bunch of pretend perfect people. Listen, can I just say this? Nobody here's got their poop in a group. 
that's just the reality of it. We're all journeying together. We're growing together. We're, we're maturing together. And sometimes it's the rub with one another. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But there's something that we've got to do because we contend for that wholeness and that, and that health by gentleness and kindness and patience. I don't want to be patient with people. Right? I want them to get it. But I got to be patient. I got to persevere. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. Because there will be a perfecting. Like, I don't like trials. I don't like people that I'm, that I'm loving on and shepherding to go through trials. God, it just hurts my heart. There's people here this morning that are just going through trials. And I was like, God, please. But can I say, if you're going through like, and I know there's, there's somebody here, you're going through the biggest trial that you've ever faced in your life. But can I say that you're not going through it alone? There's a perfecting going on. There's people around you that love you. They're not judging you. If they are, come and talk to me and we'll get them straightened out. I mean, they, they, we want to love people into wholeness. We want to encounter these things with, with gentleness and with understanding and saying, listen, I don't care how broken you are. You don't have to walk alone. Don't be walking alone. Not when I'm here. Don't be walking alone. Not when Johnny's here. Don't be walking alone. Not when Lance is here. Don't be walking alone. Not when Bruce is here or Ruth is here or Olivia's here. Don't be walking alone when, when Adrian is here or Jake is here. Don't be walking alone. You don't have to walk alone because this is what our family is. This is what we do. So James begins to speak after all that discussion. And he says this, he says, after they'd become silent because they couldn't figure out what to do, what do we do? He said, man and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take them out of a people for his name. And with the words of the prophets agree, just as written, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up. Come on, look at the theme as it applies to the church and what God is doing. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, known to God from eternity are all his works. Now listen, listen, listen. Therefore, I judge. He says, I'm making a determination. I'm making a governmental decision that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. So here's my, my thought with my staff. It speaks to me of a church that's not hard to come to. It speaks to me of a church that doesn't have religious barriers, clothing barriers. You need to be good barriers, but it's welcoming the broken, the sinful, the addicted, the down and outers, and the up and outers. And, and, and can I say this? God is rebuilding some things that have broken down. He's rebuilding some ruins that look a lot like you and a lot like me. He's rebuilding the ruins. And, and the reason He's doing that is it will change the way that you live and you can live differently. And He's setting it up. He's setting His church up, you and I, together so the rest of mankind will seek the Lord. When they say, wow, I knew that guy when. Look at what's going on in him. Man, there must be a God. I knew that couple when. Look at what's happening. And, and there must be a God. And it gives people hope. And it draws them in to the very heart of what Jesus is building. His church. 
And then he says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometimes, sometimes we've, we've been raised up to think that that's like a defensive thing. Because listen, the body of Christ is not defensive. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That means the church is about knocking the hell out of the gates of hell. Can I just say that? It's like there's an advancement and there's a moving forward. And it's into the brokenness, into the distract. Oh man, we're so distracted. But God wants to do something that's so healing. You belong. I belong. We belong. You can look at somebody beside you and say, you know, we belong together. I don't even hardly know you, but God, God's doing something. We belong together. And it's your family. It's our family. It's God's family. And can I say this? As our worship team comes, the greatest way to victory in your life is to surrender that life to Jesus. The greatest way to victory in your life is surrendering that life to Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and your hearts as we always give an opportunity. And I'm speaking to our online community as well. I'm I'm just praying that, that God is just moving through this to encourage you uh, to to build some things in your life, to bring some joy where there's just been fractures and bring hope where there's been hopelessness. But if you're here with us online, if you're here in the building physically, nobody looking around except me, I want to give you an opportunity to respond and say, I want to surrender my life to this Jesus Maybe you've done it before and you just feel like, man, I have, I, have, I have fallen away. I've just kind of went by the side of the road and I need to make a determination to get back. Or maybe you've never, you've heard about the Lord, you've felt God's presence, but you've never said, you've never taken that opportunity to say, today I become a believer, I become a follower, I truly surrender my life uh, to, to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if that's you today, what I want you to do is I want you to just, just wave at me. Just say, today I'm surrendering my heart to this Jesus. I want to agree with you. Thank you. got a couple guys. Thank you. Anybody else? Uh, Today I'm surrendering fully my life to Jesus. Fully my life. Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing. Pastor Robbie, would you just come? Would you just talking and, and she just felt like the Lord kind of stirred something in here. So we want to transition the service into into worship and a ministry over families again, but go ahead and take your liberty. This morning as we were worshiping and going before the Lord, I I sense that there are people that are either joining us today uh, in this room or joining us online, or maybe you're going to hear this someday, but your heart is broken because you have a prodigal or you maybe have a couple of prodigals in your life. Maybe it's your child or maybe it's a brother or a sister or maybe it's a friend. Somebody that you dearly love who has fallen away from the Lord for some reason. There's something that happened in their life. Maybe they, you know, were offended as Pastor Jeff was talking about or or, uh, they got hurt and you know, they, they just lost faith somewhere along the line and they've been running away and it seems like they aren't getting closer It doesn't seem like they're getting closer. It seems like they're getting farther away. And I just want to encourage you today because here's one one thing we know about God is he loves the prodigals. 
Can we get an amen loud in this place? God loves the prodigals. It is clear in his written word and we know his heart. Is the arm of the Lord too short? No, no, it's not. It's not too short to save. And you know what? When God speaks, he acts. When he speaks, he doesn't not act. He speaks and he acts. We can believe him. So here's what I want you to do. If that's you today, where you feel like, I just don't know what to do. Here's what you can do. You continue to pray and you continue to believe and you say to the discouragement and the brokenheartedness that you feel, my God's arm is not too short to save. When my God speaks, my God acts. And you cast down that discouragement and that that brokenheartedness and you continue to believe and you continue to pray. And don't stop. Because we know that our God, he doesn't just wait, but he goes out. And he'll go wherever you can't go. You know, there's only some things we can do, but we can pray. That's the thing you do, and he goes and he does what only he can do. And your prodigal is in the palm of his hand. Can I get an amen from you?